Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you in association with Betfred. Fred Doan opened his first shop in Salford in 1967. I'm not in Salford, but Nottingham, and I'm walking from the city centre to the city ground. It's going to take me about half an hour. I'm not going to speak for half an hour, just for a few minutes. And I've just walked out of the city centre, which I've not visited since 99. It's surprised me thinking about it. The last time I was here was on the 6th of February in the treble season for that 8-1. Really memorable scoreline, not really for Forest fans. But in the 90s, I come here every season. So United played Notts County in 92. Massive away following that day because it was pay on the on the day. One of the last times that you could just turn up to a stadium and and pay. And I remember feeling really proud that United had brought so many fans to Notts County. And I went to uh, to buy a burger or a cup of tea. And there was a I would have been 18, and maybe the girl serving was the same age as me. And I, and I said like. Has anyone brought as many as this before? I was really proud because United brought so many fans. And she just looked at me dismissively and said, Leicester brought more. I'll never forget that. And Forest were a big deal. My first trip here was in 88. It was my first away game outside Manchester with, with my mates and took a bus from Old Trafford. It felt like a really adult thing to do for a kid and the ticket price was £4. It seemed really expensive at the time because I was probably paying £1.40 to stand on the Stratford end. And I was appalled at how poor the view was, how bad the facilities were. I wrote a really strong letter about it to a football magazine at the time because I figured that on my wages of £2.20 a week for delivering the Manchester Evening News, at that time, £4 was a lot to attend a game of football. But I was bitten by the away day bug then. And I'm sure you've all got memories of games between Manchester United and Nottingham Forest. I can remember Stan Collymore scoring two and winning at Old Trafford. I think that was one of very few home defeats, maybe the only one in the league in the treble season. And I remember that, not just because of that, but because it was on the night of my 21st birthday. And all my mates were gutted. Well, the red majority were. And it's a good city, Nottingham. I can remember uh, coming here in the 90s to write about the city ground. And I, I came with um, a girl I was friends with. And her dad was a, a football manager. And she looked around the stadium and said... Where does my dad sit? And I said, well, on the bench over there. And she said, well, doesn't he get cold? I said, well, probably. She said, if I I bought some gloves and left them for him. (laughs) And once again, it's the things that you don't forget like that. Nottingham has got a castle. It's a pretty bustling city. There's a big student population here. I'm really looking forward to this game tonight. It's the semi-final of the League Cup. The first semi since 2017 when we're not playing Manchester City, when fans are allowed, when it's not at Wembley. And that excites me pretty much more than any of the games coming up. You know, compare with how I feel now with Reading at home 
at the weekend and another cup draw and there's no comparison. It's a hard ticket tonight. Loads of people asking and you can see the floodlights, proper old style floodlights on the banks of the River Trent ahead of me. And before I get to them, there's another ground on the left-hand side, Notts County. They're really close by. Just look at it. If you're not familiar with how close the two stadiums are, look on uh, Google Maps or whatever it is. And they're so close. I think that Forest won't be favourites, but they've improved a lot. The league form shows that. They're pretty poor at Old Trafford, but they've improved a lot since then. Manchester United will be favourites. Newcastle United will especially be favourites to get to the final because they won away at Southampton. So if it was a Manchester United, Newcastle United final, that'd be a big deal. And I absolutely think that the worth Cup, the League Cup is worth going for this season. Of course, you'll be listening to this knowing what the result is from the game in Nottingham. So I'm going to walk around the ground, look for whoever I bump into, maybe get a Forest fan and speak to a few interesting people that I hope will add value and interest to this United We Stand podcast. And then by 8.30 in the morning, I've got to have United We Stand finished. Nearly there with it. Just stopped in Waterstones in Nottingham City Centre and got the flat plan out and we're 95% there with it. But I'm going to take some pictures for the next issue. And yeah, pretty pleased with it. If you've not ordered it, Thursday's your deadline for a subscription. But I realise you're going to probably be listening to this after that deadline has gone. But anyway, it's on sale against Forest next week in the second leg of this League Cup semi-final. We're stood outside the players' entrance now. There's about an hour or so to kick off. And a gentleman's just come up and said that he listens to, to this podcast. He's from Salford. Introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Wayne Slater. Uh, I live in Nottingham now and I couldn't uh, give up the opportunity without saying hello to Andy and just saying how much I enjoy the podcast. So you, you live in Nottingham, but yeah. where are you from originally? Salford Cross Lane. Okay. Mm-hmm. And been a United fan all your life? Well, I was born in 58, yeah. so my life has been based around United. In fact, when we had the 50th anniversary of Munich, I actually went to Belgrade and retraced the steps of United, stayed in the same hotel. I was at the ground um, where we played the game against Red Star, um, which I always thought was in Red Star's ground, and it no. wasn't. It was actually across the road. Yeah. And in fact, Andy, I wrote to you about it, sending yeah. a little blog about yeah, it yeah. a few years ago. So yeah, that so was... we played it at Partizan's ground. That's right. Because that had floodlights, yeah. and um, it was a ground where United played in 2018. Yeah. And I know of people going to Belgrade again for the 65th anniversary in in a couple of weeks very soon actually yeah and to to munich as well so are you from a family of reds yeah um although my dad was a city fan um, blue in salford and well we, we had a shop in salford and yeah. of course uh, what one type week, of shop sweet shop yeah and one week he used to take uh, us to the ground to watch yeah. united he was a footy fan obviously he loved united and hated united so he loved city yeah. but the second week he used to get two buses across the main road and meet his mates for a drink uh, where he could have a a, a good yeah. day out so yeah. how did you and your brothers were you all red yeah how did that happen if he's a blue what because we didn't have the football in the 60s at united was incredible Mm. and city had people like you know your bells and all that at the end of the 60s but it was just if you went to watch united he didn't want to take us to main road because he was going to meet his mates right so what choice did we have 
we were always going to so be getting him. Right. I, I, he I sacrificed his sons yeah, to go the, and have a few beers with his mates. Exactly. So we all grew up united. And what type of jobs do you see? You had um, a, a sweet shop as well, but yeah. obviously the docks were big employers when you were growing up Massive. in Massive. My, my granddad worked for that. My dad had a, a, a cafe on the docks called Shanghai Lills, which was uh, a crazy uh, cafe, bit of a fighting house, I'm told, uh, back in the day with all the sailors in there, which is, is crazy. Yeah. And, and my, my, my wife, I, I didn't know this until many years later, my dad, my father-in-law used to go in that cafe. They lived in Brighton. He used to go in that cafe when he used to come off a world tour. So my dad used to serve him food. And I eventually married his daughter, who hadn't even been born at the time, like 30 years later. So you're looking forward to this game tonight? I am very much so, yeah. Yeah, very much so. I'm, 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 more than anything, I want to see Casimiro in the flesh. Yeah. You know, I've not seen him yet. So I'm opening So you live, in, you live in Nottingham I live now. In Nottingham what now. brought you here? When did I, you leave I, Manchester? I left Manchester a long time ago. because I was Salford, a cab- sorry, Salford. Salford, Salford thank you. Because I was a cabaret actor and I ended up working all over the world. What type um, of cabaret? Um, yeah, visual comedy speciality act. The old school, the old style. A bit like Tommy Cooper, but without speaking. Where'd you learn comedy to do magic. That? I just grew up with a kind of uh, comedy was my excuse at school because I couldn't, I couldn't read or write at school. So comedy got me out of most sins and I ended up becoming uh, a butler redcoat. Why couldn't you read or write? I just didn't pay attention. Right. And I didn't realise at the time until years later I was dyslexic. Right. And then people said that's why you couldn't. So you I was the class clown. Make people laugh. But ended up making a living out of it. I made a great living out of it for 30 odd years. Travelling yeah. the world? Everywhere, yeah. I worked for exclusively for Royal Caribbean on the cruise ships. They were still one of the big three tour companies, aren't they? So yeah. you travel absolutely everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. And unfortunately, then one day a few years back, I had a heart attack just before a show on a cruise ship. Right. And we had to do a ship to shore rescue, and that was, that was it. Call it a day. So why Nottingham then? Because my me, me son son's lived here. Right. Um, one is a BBC football commentator right. and the other one is an accountant and they said come and stay here so his mum and I moved here about five years ago. It seems like a decent city. It's a great city. Why? It's, it's a great city because it's a sporting city. It's not just uh, it's not just got Nottingham Forest, it's got Notts County, it's got great cricket, it's got fantastic uh, boating for the facilities for the Olympics. It's just a vibrant city. It's not Manchester. But uh, it's a a great city. I really felt, I don't know, nostalgic, excited, walking across the bridge over the River Trent, looking over the river towards the city ground. I stopped at Meadow Lane. I went past the the, the Trent Bridge Inn with um, Trent Bridge Cricket Ground behind it. And I just thought, just a wonderful place to to be that you've got this depth of sporting culture Nottingham Forest you'll remember clearly when they were European champions Absolutely. I can just about remember it I can. and it says on the stand right behind you Champions of Europe 1979 yeah. Champions of Europe 1980 it's incredible it is incredible it was incredible at the time incredible. and this, this stadium is about to get redeveloped in the next couple of years and they're going to do the main stand aren't they yeah, yeah. yeah but a lot of it you'll see some pictures as you go around tonight they're going to make a, a, a great job of it I think but they need to stay in the Premier League to do yeah. it they, they should do a city of this size should have a Premier League but then you could say the same about Bristol which yeah. is let's, of a similar size let's go back to that year before Schmeichel made his debut against Notts County if I remember yeah. at Trafford yeah, yeah. I came to Notts County that year when August 91 uh, yeah that's right um, and at the time you would never have thought that they'd be gone I mean look where they are now 
captain of a non-league team. They're a non-league team. One who attracted crowds of up to 15,000 recently. I mean, that yeah. is incredible. It, it a really fifth-tier is. team yeah. getting those crowds. Yeah, he's it, it, mad. And that Nottingham Forest, twice European champions. You've got huge clubs who can't yeah. compete with that. And Arsenal have never been champions of Europe. <laughs> no. Tottenham yeah. have never yeah. been champions yeah. of Europe. I'm trying to think yeah. of their, you any it. other huge English football clubs who've never been champions of Europe. Um, Everton? Um, Everton? Isn't there a, a, a blue, blue team somewhere? Everton, you're um, thinking of. That's yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Newcastle United. Yeah. And, then, and then they did it and they've been down and down and they've changed all the players for this season. They seem to be getting a bit of fight. Do you ever come and watch them play? No. Just watch United? I just watch United. I, I, I tell a lie a, a couple of times when my lad, because he's a BBC commentator, yeah. said he'll be going on a long journey and I'll go with him for company um, on Boxing Day. He was doing Sunderland and Blackburn Rovers, and he said, do you just fancy the journey? And I went, yeah. And I would have just sat in the car, but he said, I've got a spare ticket. So, But I, I watched Ahmed uh, that day. I like Ahmed, and he played very well that day. He's okay. a good, exciting footballer. Yeah, anyone else? Any other Forest players? No, Ahmed, I'm talking when Ahmed for uh, Sunderland yeah, that day. Yeah. Uh, Forest, no, I don't watch Forest at all. Yeah, OK. No, I'm only United. Okay, so the players are walking through now. Yeah. Um, I do not recognise so many of these players. No. Because there's been so many changes. Um, yeah. Talk about Ahmed. He, under Tony Mowbray at Sunderland, mm. really found his form. He's doing well, and I know he cost a lot of money, and I know there were wobbles about whether he was going to be good enough at the start of the season, but he's absolutely flying there, so he's definitely of some value. What he did as for a me, manager walking in now, Steve. What he did, uh, there's Jess. Jesse yeah. Lingard. What he did uh, Jesse in that, that impressed me with Ahmed over at Sunderland that day. He's not getting into contests with players. As soon as he receives the ball, he moves it. He moves it quickly, and that really impressed me because he's slight. He's not a big lad, and he gets knocked off the ball easy. And I thought, if you can master that and keep moving that ball before anyone gets to you, there's a great yeah. skill. He scored a top goal against Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough yeah. at the weekend, the second yeah. goal. And yeah. again, I think yeah. there's 41,000 there. Yeah. Seconds here. I, I, I just marvel at the, at the the depth of it. Yeah, yeah, it is super. So, predictions for tonight? My prediction tonight is that I've got a funny feeling because the atmosphere is incredible. I think it'll be a draw. And I think it'll be a score draw. I remember coming here in 94, um, one or they'd just come up, Forest. The atmosphere that night was, was one of the best. It's, it's great. And there was only 22,000 in the ground because it was when they were rebuilding the bridge for then. Tickets were like hen's teeth. There's only 900 given to United fans. Yeah. It was just bouncing. Was you, there, was you there the day of the quarter-final when we got beat by Forrester Old Trafford? It was the year was. we would have played in the semi-finals and we came out at K-Stand and it was really naughty. It really kicked so that off was Mar- That was March 89 yeah. and they brought 10,000. Yeah. And I remember songs about Stuart Pearce. Stuart Pearce scored the goal, though, didn't he, for Forrest. Brian Robson scored a goal that crossed the line. If, if yeah. we had VAR in those days, it would have been a draw. So I remember about that. Um, that was a massive, massive game. It was the FA Cup sixth round yeah. at a time where Manchester United did nothing in the league. That's right. So this is 89. Not yeah. won a trophy since 85. Yeah. 
So I cycled to Old Trafford the week before, bought a ticket for the Stratford Paddock, right. got in the Stratford Paddock as soon as it opened, stood there waiting for two hours right above one of the tunnels. I thought that was the best view in the world. Stood on wooden terraces. I know. Could and make some noise on there as well, couldn't yeah. you? Yeah, and I don't want to over-romanticise because I remember being absolutely gutted that day, but it was yeah. a huge game. It was yeah. an absolutely massive game. Yeah. And then good news with the Stratford end this week, I think. I've that heard that. I love that. I think that's fantastic. That really will help and bring a great atmosphere. And it's been good. So here's the United coach yeah, been stuck in the turning up now. Which is a busy area coming off the motorway. Getting here, getting here from Manchester is not easy. Yeah. I, remember, I remember that about it. So the stewards are just pushing us to one side. And I'm stood outside. So it's 20 to 7 it's now. 20 to 7. So United Security stepped off the coach. And... It's a big operation when Manchester United come into town. I'll just try and describe what I see here. So you have like match managers, you have uh, media people, you have is the first off the coach is, is the doctor, um, Steve, who's moving on from the club soon. And then next off is Richard Hartis, the goalkeeping coach with uh, Tom Heaton. Scott McTominay, Victor Lindelof, uh, Jack Butland. Now they're all starting to walk through the different coaches. Here come the analysts. Big operation. I'm not sure if there's two coaches because with um, COVID, that's what happened. Now all the players are coming through, and I'm going to take some pictures for United East Hello, mate. How are you? singing Rashford is red six minutes gone Marcus Rashford picked the ball up well inside his own half slalomed through the Nottingham Forest defence Serge Aurier was miles away from him and then he put the ball past Wayne Hennessy so that's quieting the home fans down a little bit it's a great start for Manchester United because Forest were well up for this but at right back and right from the start I thought that Aurelia looked a little bit suspect. Can you hear it now? United fans singing, we're the famous Man United and we're going to Wembley. It's been a good while since I heard that. After the game, Manchester United beat Nottingham Forest 3-0, pretty convincing and the Travelling support was thinking about going to Wembley and I've got Mark Ogden who's been on this podcast several times before and uh, wondering what you thought of that tonight. You usually get me on when I'm the prophet of doom don't you and it's usually really miserable so I don't know why you got me on tonight. Yeah but, uh, no I can remember a few times yeah. we've done it where it's been like well it's caused debate. And I was right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway uh, no tonight to be fair it was um, I thought they were always in control tonight I thought 3-0 actually flattered Forest I thought it could have been more. 
I never really said, I know that Forrest had a goal to select, but I never really felt that United were, were going to blow this one. And I think that's the one thing that the difference, this well, many things, but you never really trusted United over the last three or four years to hold on to a lead or go anywhere and get a result. I think now you trust them to get results at places that are, that could be difficult. You know, you never know what they're going to do at, at City or at Arsenal or at Liverpool, but games like this where United should win, they now win. And that, that's a big change. And I think fans got to be confident that they're not going to see a, a shocking display and a bad defeat. What's your take on Eric Ten Hag and how he's doing? I just like the way he's imposed himself right from the start, you know, discipline, authority, big decisions on not just Ronaldo but, you know, dropping Maguire, things like that, dropping Rashford at the Wolves, dropping, what's his name, in the, in the summer, the statement that if a, if a young player's dropped for being late, the senior player has to be as well. I just think you can tell the whole club's a happier place and there's, you, can, you can sense that one person is in charge now. You know, things like, I think it's just beyond that, you know, Ed Woodward has gone, Richard Allen's come in and he's, he's just taken a, a back seat and let people get on with the jobs. And, you know, I think we're coming up to a year that Richard's been in the job. And I think that's been a factor as well, not just Eric Ten Hag, but he's just let people do the jobs and then if they don't do the job, move them on. But people are doing the jobs because they'll be given the autonomy and the freedom to do it. I heard quite a lot of good stuff about Richard. Um, in the last month or so, just from totally different sources, people who would be very honest if they didn't feel he was doing the right thing. And that brings into play the prospect that someone could come in and just get rid of someone like mm. him. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what happens when you have a take a look at Chelsea. I mean, that is a warning to, you know, obviously people the, wrong, the current owners out, but what's happened at Chelsea is a warning that everybody goes and it's not exactly for, for the better. I think what happens at United will be for the better once the Glazers go. Because the bar's been set low by them. Yeah, yeah. there's people that's beneath that that might be doing a good job now. One thing that people tell me about Richard Arnold is that he's based at Old Trafford, he's not based in London. I think the staff at every level respect the fact that he eats in the staff canteen and he's affable and he's, he doesn't know everybody's name. It's not like Fergie, but he... No, there's 900 yeah. names to know. But he knows <laughs> what they do and people, when people see the boss with them and eating with them and you know just around the building I think it does again it's a bit like Ten Hag it shows there is a boss in the building and that, that matters so yeah there's a sense of calm and a sense of things going in the right direction again which is which is good good for us because you know I don't like doing Man United when they're, they're losing and it's chaotic because it's, it's kind of hard you know it's, it's better to do teams and cover teams when they're winning it's big news though isn't it whatever happens with United you, you write for ESPN yeah. you don't just cover Manchester no. United but it always drags you back because United are the biggest story Mm. Biggest story, you know, biggest traffic, biggest everything, and, you know, and it is it does get hard to, to write about United all the time, especially when they're struggling because it's, you know, you, people like you know yourself and me, I've, I've covered the club for a long time, and you, you kind of measure it against when it was really good and when things were great, and when you see things that aren't so good, you can kind of see that it's, it's there, you can see it in your own eyes that this isn't working, and there's a frustration that you can see it, but people at the club are expected to see it can't or don't, so you know, I much prefer covering big clubs when they're winning because that's what they're there to do when big clubs are struggling they're, they're leaky um, as we know and uh, you get criticised for writing stuff about it but you're only writing what you're told and a lot of the time people are telling you for a reason because they don't like the way it's going on there's often different versions of the truth isn't there when people are, are telling you stuff yeah. absolutely you've got to see what their agenda is yeah. you know everyone's got an agenda and if um, you know last year was the worst I've ever known with agendas and things going wrong but thank god that's over with because it, again it wasn't fun to, to cover really it was it was hard but it was funny in a way that you're getting good stories out of people and you, you find out about the dressing room being 
not a happy place and well, nothing being happy really but it is a much better place when people are winning and United do what United should be doing it's much better now isn't it Yeah. some people have left wins obviously help absolutely yeah and, and tonight you, you can sense the mood amongst the fans is different as well it's not as moody as it was last season and to be fair the United fans they, they have over the last 10 years stuck with managers I think at times too long you know too much faith and didn't I think they've known that things were going wrong, but they've, they've not wanted to be the club that boos the manager. You know, you're not booing off the champions at half-time at home games like, you know, others do. It would never happen at Liverpool, it wouldn't happen at United, but, you know, the, the newer clubs with the less accustomed to prolonged success and what it takes, you know, I don't think United have ever gone down that route, but I think at times they should have been quicker to criticise and quicker to get stuck into players and managers, but, you know, they are where they are for 10 years now and it's... Yeah, I think finally after 10 years it's looking better again. It's almost a reaction to the, the online media reactions. I think the fans are at the matches want to show that the difference of them and that they will support the manager. And obviously Manchester City have got a, a different situation. What do you think Pep Guardiola's getting at there? Do you think he's making legitimate points there that the support's not good enough? Um, I think he's frustrated. You know, I think somebody told me that Pep Pep would have loved to have managed United, yeah. but not, not the United of the last 10 years. Yeah. The United, proper United. I think he's a guy that wants historic clubs and big clubs. And you know, when you walk around a building at a stadium, you can sense the history. You can even sit, we're at Forest tonight, you can sense it here. You can sense that Brian Club here. Or I think it's we're, in the, we're in the Peter Taylor stand, there's signs for European Cup winners everywhere. But yeah, you look at it, you can feel the history and you can, you can sense, you know, wherever you look at Old Trafford. You know that they've been greats in the past, and it's almost like they're looking down at you. At City, they've had great teams in the past, but it's not a pep, it's not the history that Pep Guardiola really associates with. He's built he's building that history. I think he gets frustrated at times that he's not he's not at a super club like a United, Liverpool, or even an Arsenal that's got that history at every corner. I think he's it frustrates him at times that he's you know this such an amazing team. Erling Haaland's playing it. They've got some brilliant players. Riyad Mahrez, what a great player he is, and and the fans are booing at half time and. It's a bit weird, and that you know that they're not filling the stadium at times. And I know that people are struggling at the moment, but you know I'd never criticise fans for not saying if they can't afford it. But you know, Man City for all the success they've had recently they should be filling the stadium every week, or not. And they shouldn't be reacting like that. I don't think when things aren't going great. Finally, what will success be for Manchester United this season? What will be a successful season in your opinion? Um, well, finishing the top four primarily because that they have to do that. I know it's not a trophy, but they have to do that to get the players they need to get themselves back competing for the right players again. But I think they're going to win the trophy. Look, they're in the Carabao Cup. Sorry, Carabao Cup final. They're in the Carabao Cup final. I've forgotten what the name is in this yeah. competition now. Is it the League Cup or is it the Carabao Cup? Like the EFL Cup. EFL Cup. Cup. The Carabao Cup. Yeah. Is it still the Carabao? Yeah. Right. But they have to win it. You know, Newcastle yeah. don't get any encouragement to be successful, so they have to win it. If they win the Carabao Cup. It's a great start to hopefully a successful. And let's 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 not forget, you know, Charlie Ferguson's trophy-winning era started with a win at Nottingham Forest. So there was a bit of uh, history repeating itself there. But yeah, they have to win the trophy and get in the top four. Thanks for your time. Cheers, Paul. So that was a decent win for Manchester United. I'm in the car with James Gocroft, who's been kind enough to give me a lift to the game. James played up front as a Premier League striker for good Ipswich Town and Leicester City sides uh, he was in the Manchester United end last night what did you make of it James? 
thought it was an outstanding result at the end of the day. And just for the record, I didn't give you a lift. I was going to the game and you just happened to be in my area, so I didn't mind you jumping in. You gave me a lift. You absolutely buzz off me and you came out your way to pick me up. Did you come out your way to pick me up, yes or no? A little bit, but I don't buzz, buzz off you. Of course you do. Of course you do. Anyway, talk about the match. Um, I think the match... The scoreline possibly flatters United, I think, certainly first half. I think Vegos' goal on half-time just killed the game, killed the the narrative and the direction the game was going in. I think, you know, Rashford's outstanding opening goal. But then I thought it was a very even game for, for long parts and, like I say, the equaliser, but it was offside and, you know, it looked like the game could sort of sway either way, really. But I think that second goal before half-time killed it and then... United needed the third really to take the game away from Forest, and I just can't see any other outcome now. You were a striker, so I'm going to ask you specifics about Manchester United's strikers individually. First of all, Veghorst. I thought he played well. I felt that he was a reference point for the team. He held the ball up well. He linked play in. I spoke to him after the game. He said he was very satisfied. He obviously scored a goal, which helps all strikers. Tell us about the technical side of his game. What do, what does he do? Well, you've just sort of nailed it, Andy. Really keeps the ball, and he keeps the ball in a difficult area of the football pitch where it's the hardest to, to keep the ball because you're under the most pressure. Um, for someone who's is he six foot four? He looks looks a giant, doesn't he? He's very slim. Built. He's slim. Yeah, I thought yeah. that. Speaking to him afterwards in his flip flops after the match. He's um, no, he's a, he's a, a slimmer, but for his frame, he's technically very good, and you can see how he's got to the level that. That he's got to his first touch is good and at times that's what you do need you need somebody that you can uh, play the ball into and he's going to release people and allow runners to get up to him and get past him I don't think he's going to score many goals in the United team because I think you know United is very much a counter-attacking team under Ten Hag which is obviously suiting Rashford not quite sure it will suit Veghorst but you can see what he brings and you can see at the moment in time that it is an addition. I tell you, it reminds me a bit of Vegost. You and my brother Jos, both strikers, both big, neither quick, big units, good touch. Well, you've probably never seen me play, I don't think you've seen you play loads. I, it, it, be, be honest, are there similarities between you and Vegost? Probably, yeah. That, that, you know, I used to play a lot with my back to goal, but it was back in the days when you used to play with two forwards, so most teams would have had someone who was six foot um, so it's it's unusual but I think it's effective and I think it's a time of the season where you know you can see for the third goal the way he just comes off and he's got awareness as well he's got a vision so he just sweeps it and he plays it out to the to the right I believe from memory last night so um, look, he'll get a run he probably needs to get a little bit fitter which he do which he'll do how with can games. you see that watching him he needs to get a little bit fitter because I was struck talking to him last night when he, he was saying like uh, yeah I've been here for almost a week now I thought god it's no time and he's come from Turkish football right he's come okay. from Turkish football to play in the Premier League at Manchester United and the fitness level Turkish football will be five or six levels down from where he's playing at the moment so um, and so you inter- get that fitness is that match fitness is that match intelligence or is it just <laughs> runs match fitness Going fitness, I'm sure he'll work hard. Well, you won't have time to work hard because it's a game every two or three days, but it's just match fitness. Just see, I was right behind the goal last night, 
and at corners. I watched his movement and you just see when, when there was a break, he put his hands on his knees and he'd just get that, which is fine and understandable. But the good thing is, and you go back to me and your brother, we probably carried an extra stone in weight than what he did. So uh, there's no build or bulk to him at all. So it's not, um, it's not as if he's a big lad carrying a bit of weight either. My brother would prepare for games with a, a couple of pints, a couple of cigarettes, but the fans loved him. Um, there you go. Big, hard, slow, skillful, get the ball to him, put his elbows, get sent off. That's what fans like. You know Marcus Rashford. Can we analyse his game and why you think he is doing so well for Manchester United? I think there's many factors why he's doing very well. Um, I think certain personnel have departed the building and now he's probably mentally in, in the best place he's ever been. I think tactically he's in a place where all of a sudden there's free areas of the pitch which wasn't there two years ago. So I think if you see last night, would he have had that confidence and that arrogance and that aura about him to score that goal if Ronaldo's on the pitch demanding he passes the ball? No, I don't think so. Maybe with a Pogba, probably in midfield, taking too many touches and not giving Rashford the ball uh, quick enough. Marcus Rashford reminds me a little bit of when Oli was first manager and I remember going to Wembley actually to watch him against Tottenham in the, in the league when Tottenham were playing at Wembley and he scored that counter-attacking goal where if he's got space in front of him and you give him the ball quick he's devastating and that's his attributes and I think Manchester United realise that and fair credit to Ten Hag I think they realise that if you give the ball early to him and he's got space there probably isn't there's only Mbappe in world football that's that can get to that level and he can be devastating now problem you got and this is I think Ten Hag's done very very well but I think Manchester United are becoming a little bit of a counter-attacking team and to get to the next level they're going to have to come a possession team because even last night in the first half too many turnovers there's too much and even against the Man City game although we won when when Man City went 1-0 up for 20 minutes they keep the ball and the top teams, you see it against Arsenal at the weekend, the last 15 minutes, they kept the ball, they built the pressure. And I don't think Manchester United at the moment keep the ball well enough. Some of Marcus's goals are outstanding. Yeah, and listen, we had, we had a chat last night, didn't we, that that's the problem. His goals are outstanding, they're world-class, and it's an unsustainable trend to carry on. What he has done this year, and you know, I think he's always needed to do he's actually got his shorts dirty and by I mean like that the City goal where he's sliding in in the six yard box he needs to get those goals as well because you can't beat two or three players every week and put it in the top corner which he has done in the last two games What would success be for Manchester United this season? Champions League football a trophy all by a miracle they're, they're at Wembley I think it looks like it'll be Newcastle it'll be a very tough game for that I think it'll be good side aren't they? yeah they are and they're a strong side as well defensively they're very very strong and they've got players that, that can hurt as well and I think like we talked about Which players well I think collectively they're very very good I think they've just kept 10 clean sheets is it yeah. you know we're just coming into Barry Snedman's where the goalkeeper Nick Pope started his career you know, got an outstanding goalkeeper. I think Botman was an excellent sign-in from here. The back four with Trippier as well. And in midfield, Bruno Gomez, who I think has taken the Premier League by storm. I think is a very... I saw him play for Leon. He was brilliant. Yeah, he's he's a midfield. Very, very good uh, footballer. So I think they've got... 
is the pressure on them being the first you know could it be the first trophy in 50 years maybe but I think there's a bit of pressure on Manchester United as well so we'll come at Bury St Edmunds um, local to you you're a Suffolk lad and I think did you play here towards the end of your career yeah the season there yeah how did you do uh, yeah I did alright I think we finished our highest position that we've ever finished in our history we finished third in the Isthmian Premier League which is step three no uh, step four I believe what type of um, player were you for? were you like the local big timer because I can't imagine there were many players who played Premier League football there did you throw your weight around in the dressing room no I was a very quiet lad I used to uh, got in a few scraps on the pitch because people back, knew who you were well no you know, back then it was when the the spiky hair, the white boots, you get these kids who wanted to kick you and elbow you and stuff like that, you know, non-league football's no VAR, but I've never been big time, mate, that's a bit of a, uh, <laughs> you know my knowledge and love for non-league football. I know you do, I know. It, it, far, long, far greater than yours. No, it's not. Long before you were made as a professional footballer, um, you and I were both like sketching drawings of non-league grounds in we, I reckon we could both describe Telford's ground from 985. I can describe any ground, mate. That's all, can I? Well, well that's yeah. maybe why we're, 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 we're friends. Um, you're the only person in this world I know who's got a record of my dad's career playing. And I was, I was pretty uh, emotional when you showed me that. Showing his best seasons there. So you're a football geek, aren't you? Not many of you among footballers. Jamie Carragher's a football geek. I don't understand... I don't really have the time. When, when I finish football, I followed United home and away, as, as you knew. You know, you go everywhere. And it is... You know, even last night at Felsit again, it is a feeling. And I see all these people that I'm a football fan, a football fan. Unless you follow a team away from home, I think it might, you're not a football fan. And that, that might sound a little bit too clinical, but I think people will understand that. The feeling I started this podcast on was walking up to the city ground and walking over the river and just an incredible feeling that anticipation and respecting a club like Nottingham Forest and missing not going to Nottingham and obviously the game that followed was, was a happy result for uh, Manchester United so thanks for your time James and I've just finished the latest mag the covers are going to print and it's going to come out against uh, Forest Home so yeah got back from the game at 2am got up at 730 and got it all done well it's not all done until it's printed and on sale doubtless in the rain until next time big game of the weekend Manchester United against Reading in the FA Cup thanks for listening every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss plus with a US based restoration specialist on your team you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.